Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I want to ask you a very simple question. What does success mean to you? When I say the word success, what are the things that pop in your head and uh, in your heart? Um, It means a lot of different things for a lot of different people, I would suspect and I would suppose. Uh, I don't know if there's any football fans in the room today. Anybody been tracking along with football? Like five of us in Canada, all right? Uh, If you're watching in the States, maybe you appreciate this a little bit more. Uh, Unfortunately or fortunately, I'm not entirely sure which, uh, my entire family, we are big Buffalo Bills fans. Uh, Both of our boys were born in Buffalo, New York. We lived there for a few years. So, man, we thought this was going to be our year. If you've been tracking, you know what happened last week. But... I've been licking my wounds enough that I think I'm ready to watch another football game this afternoon for the conference championships. But success for the Buffalo Bills this year does not look like a Super Bowl, I can tell you that much. And uh, I don't know who it's going to be for, but it's not going to be for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, if you're a sports fan, I mean, we always dog on the Maple Leafs fans, right? But like, eventually, I was talking to, I was talking to my brother Arnold today, and uh, he's one of our King's Classic people today. He said, you know, I actually saw the Maple Leafs win a Stanley Cup once. And he was like, I bet you have and I was like, man, see, that's, that's what it takes to keep the hope and the dream alive, right? It's just to have seen it once. I haven't seen the Bills win a Super Bowl. I don't know if I ever will, but it could happen someday in the name of Jesus. Um, <laughs> he cares about the small things, right? I think he does. Uh, depending on how you're wired, uh, success means a lot of different things. I think for a lot of us, a lot of our self-worth is probably tied to at least our perceived level of success, right? Uh, as humans, I think we attach it to a lot of things that we can see, things that are, things that are tangible, uh, accolades, maybe titles, maybe achievements, maybe degrees, maybe things that we've accomplished. Uh, we all know the guy who was a star athlete in high school, right, or girl, and uh, you know, maybe the, the bedroom in, in his parents' basement is still lined with the walls of trophies and all the, all the things that he accomplished, but now when you see him, that's all he wants to talk about because maybe the rest of his life hasn't been quite as fruitful or prolific as his high school sports days, right? And so he's still thinking back on the place in life where he felt the most successful. Um, the Bill Gates effect is something else to consider, right? Those of us who are a little more uh, intellectual, let's say, or if I could just use the word nerds in church, if we could just be real. I don't know if there's any self-proclaimed nerds uh, at any of our locations or online today. But, uh, you know, maybe when you were in school, you didn't feel like you were the juiciest cut of meat on the market. But now you have blossomed, and oh, how you've blossomed. And uh, maybe you now you're a successful business mogul. We all know that nerds run the world, right? And uh, maybe now your middle school bullies are working for you, and uh, you can show them who's boss. Um, how do you define success? It's the quintessential job interview question. I remember being asked this question as a high school student when I was applying to work the cleanup shift at the French fry factory in McCain's in Florenceville. And sitting me down, and how do you define success, Andrew? And I was like, I don't even know if I define success as getting this job. Like, the, <laughs> the shift starts at 3 a.m., and it's on a Saturday, and I'm in high school. All I want is pizza money to be able to go hang out with my buddies. Like, I'd probably rather go back and be able to tell my parents that you said no. So if you could do that, that'd be great. They didn't, and they hired me. But uh, 
That's what, that's what everybody wants to know. Right? How do you define success? There's entire subreddits that are devoted to this question. If you look on social media, we'd probably, based on the things that we post and the things that we follow and the things that we scroll, we'd probably define success as you know having lots of things and being able to take nice vacations and living on a steady diet of dopamine while we're adventuring and exploring the world and experiencing, experiencing new things. And all those are great. Um, but I wonder for all of us, like if, if we, like Aladdin in the Disney movie, found a magic lamp this morning and you found a genie that was going to grant you three wishes, like what would having it all really look like for you? And I suspect there'd probably be some themes that would bubble to the surface for all of us. And uh, if we could do those survey results, I'm sure there'd be some things that we began to be able to connect the dots together. But this isn't a new question. The idea of success, the idea of achievement, of what it means to be successful and fruitful, uh, we've wrestled with this for a long time. Uh, If you've read your Bible much, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you're brand new, and man, we're so excited that you're here. Um, Even Adam and Eve in the very beginning in the garden, some of you know the story and what happened, right? God said, here's everything everything that I'm laying in front of you. The only thing I'm asking you not to do is to eat from this one tree. But what happened? They were tempted and they were told, if you eat from that tree, then you will be like God. Then you will know more and you will understand more, more power, more influence, more authority, more control in your own life. Even the disciples argued, like if you know the stories, like they like to argue about who was going to be Jesus' right-hand man, right? It wasn't enough to be one of the chosen 12, but they wanted to know who was Jesus' number two and who's going to be in charge when you leave someday, Jesus. And uh, the story that we find this morning I'd like us to focus on for a bit. In chapter 19 of the book of Matthew, we're picking up where Pastor John left off in our Matthew series last week. Kind and benevolent Pastor John who took the divorce passage and left this one for me, which is way more fun to preach on and uh, way more familiar, I think, to many of us. It's about a young man that we often refer to in church circles as the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. And uh, even those three descriptors of this guy, he's rich and he's young and he's in charge, right? Like, doesn't that sound like really the things that all of us want in life? If we can just be carnal and honest with ourselves for a moment, like, isn't that what we all really want? Like, more money? Yes, please. Like, I don't think there's a single, like, doesn't matter how big your bank account is right now, we always want a little bit more, don't we, if we're being honest? So we all want that. This guy was young, the gospels tell us, uh, that's amazing. We all want to stay young forever, don't we? You know how I know that? Because I did a little bit of research, and in 2023, the global anti-aging industry peaked at $71.6 billion. That's just some products to make us look younger, all right? And we all know we do it. I see everybody going and buying that stuff at Costco. I, I, like, we all take care of ourselves, right? We've got to do it, especially as we get older. We love to just cake those ruts and ridges and peaks and valleys in our faces just full of creams and lotions, you know, whatever it takes. We want that skin just as tight as a bongo drum, right? So no one knows how old we are. And uh, if you don't mind a little bit of facial paralysis, then Botox is a great option. It can reverse the hands of time. And we got people out here looking like the Joker in the Dark Knight. You got a permanent grimace on your face, and you have to work just to blink. You know, your face is so frozen, but it's a, it's a small price to pay. It's a small price to pay for a fountain of, fountain of youth, right? We'd all love to have more money. We'd all probably love to be a little bit younger or to stay a little bit younger for a little bit longer. And we all love the idea of being in charge, don't we? Being in charge of our own destiny, being in command, like not having, like we, we loved, like there's a, there's a big trend now to work for ourselves and be entrepreneurs, you know, and to strike out on your own, to take the risk. That's amazing. None of us want to be a slave to the man, do we? Nobody. 
I don't think anybody knows who the man is, but none of us like him. We know that for sure. And none of us want to work for him. And the more independent we can be, the better. None of us love the idea of politicians uh, calling the shots and making decisions that affect the trajectory of our lives, do we? Like, we want to be in control. We want to be calling the shots. This young man clearly had it all. The Gospels tell us collectively that he was a rich young ruler, but yet he was still searching. He seemingly had it all, like the way that we would typically define success. He had everything, but there was still something that was missing. Let's read our passage together today. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, picking up in verse 16. We'll put it on the screens for you. But it says this, someone came to Jesus, our guy. He came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, then keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked. Jesus replies, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, right? That's basically the back nine of the Ten Commandments, by the way. And then he says, listen, verse 20, I've obeyed all these commands, the young man replies. What else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, then go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have your treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had many possessions. And then Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll say it one more time. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were uh, understandably astounded at this. And they said, well, then who in the world can be saved, Jesus? And he looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, Everything is possible. One of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture, one that really rubs against the grain of who we are as people and humans, uh, rubbed against the grain of the culture in Jesus' day, and it's still rubbing against the grain of the culture in our day. Sometimes we think things are new and different, but really the same problems have existed for all of time. Like, we want to define success ourselves, and the way that Jesus is defining it here is clearly very, very different. Jesus is using some strong language. If we're uh, being honest, it's, a bit, it's kind of concerning language a little bit for, for a lot of us. It's kind of a little bit confusing. But let's start with that original question that that young man came and asked Jesus. What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think that, you know, for a lot of us and and me growing up and hearing this story, like I often like just defaulted directly to, okay, this guy is saying, Jesus, how do I make sure I can get into heaven and I don't end up in hell? If there's two places and there's two options, how do I make sure I'm getting to heaven and I'm not getting into hell? But the reality is that the Jewish community that this young man grew up in and was a part of Probably the real question he was asking and what he was getting at was they believed in that the the Messiah was going to come and that he was going to establish what they thought was an earthly rule and reign, like a new government that was going to subvert and overthrow the Roman Empire. And so if this man believed that Jesus was the Messiah, probably what he was asking was, okay, if I've got fame and riches and power and notoriety and influence and sway right now, how do I make sure that I can keep that when there's a new sheriff in town? Like when, the, when everything changes, like I'm doing pretty good right now, but when everything changes and, there's, and, and you're in charge now, Jesus, and you're going to fix things and set things right, how do I make sure that I'm going to inherit a piece of that eternal kingdom? I believe in you. I believe in what you're saying, but what do I need to do to make sure that I've got a seat at the table when the time, when the time comes? 
And Jesus' initial reply is really pretty simple to him, right? He says, just, just keep the commandments. Basically lists off the second half of the Ten Commandments. It says, go and do all these things. Jesus, knowing there's a real deeper conversation, and he already knew that this young man kept these commandments. And that's what he says. He's like, Jesus, I've done, I've done all of those things. I don't lie. I don't steal. I honor my parents. I don't lie. I, I try to love the people around me. Like, what? I know there's something more than that, Jesus. I know there's a lot of other people that are doing these same things. And then Jesus moves the conversation to a deeper place, to new ground. He answers the question that he knows this young man is asking. And he says, okay, well, if, if you really want to be perfect, if you really want to score 100% on the entrance exam, then what you need to do is go sell everything you've got, and I know you have a lot, and you need to give it all to the poor, then you're going to realize that your real treasure is in heaven, not the stuff that you've accumulated for yourself here, and then you'll be ready to come and follow me. Like, that's the question you're really asking, and I'm telling you, this is what you really need to do to make it, to make it happen. The theologian N.T. Wright translates that, uh, that, that word there in verse 21. says, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. N.T. Wright translates that word perfect as complete, that it's like almost as if this young man was collecting these commandments that he kept, kind of like trophies that he could put in a display case. He could sort of check off, like, here's all the things that I've done. Here's all the things that I've done right. Here's all the ways that I've, I've listened to you, Jesus, and I've been a good person. He clearly was probably a pretty organized and a, and, and a pretty uh, uh, a guy who liked lists and liked tasks and to-dos. And it's almost like he's collecting all these commandments and doing everything right, but he's like, I'm missing one last thing. There's that one empty shelf left in the trophy case. And Jesus, I need you to tell me what I need to do to complete it. And Jesus says, if you really want to complete the set, if you really want to have everything, the first thing you need to do is, is have nothing. You need to empty the trophy case. You need to get rid of all of it. You need to realize that that's never what it was about in the first place. Sell it all, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. It's not a general requirement for us as followers of Jesus, but it is a specific heart posture. This is very important for us to understand together today, that this young man did need to sell everything he had and give it to the poor. Now, some of us are like sweating a little bit, being like, listen, do I have to do this to follow Jesus? Do I literally have to leave here and go sell everything and give it to the poor? Uh, it's possible, but I, I don't think it's very likely. This isn't a general requirement for all of his followers. Jesus did call some people to do that. The 12 disciples are a great example of that. He literally called them to give up their lives, to lay down. They walked away from jobs. They walked away from careers. They walked away from the only things they ever knew. Many of them walked away from their families, at least for a period of time. They all wound up giving their actual physical lives for the sake of of Jesus. He did call them to that, but his general following and most of his followers, it's, it, it was more unique. But Jesus isn't as concerned with the specific, actual, tangible steps this young man needed to take as he was about the posture of his heart. And that's what he's concerned about with every single one of us today, I think. And Jesus knew that for this young man to actually get it, like he wasn't going to fully understand and grasp what it meant to be a participant in the kingdom of heaven until he was willing to part with all of his stuff. Because his stuff had taken a place and occupied a space in his mind and in his heart that it was never meant to, and it was never intended to. 
And Jesus knew that the only way that his posture was going to line up the way that it needed to was that he needed a bit of a dose of reality, maybe some, maybe some humility, and uh, maybe more of a servant attitude and approach to life than he had right at that moment. And here's the thing. We may not all feel like we have to go sell everything we own to follow Jesus. Some of us are saying, praise the Lord. But we all, like the rich young ruler, have things in our lives that will compete and will vie with Jesus for that central seat of authority in our life. Like something that will very easily, if we don't pay attention and we're not, we're not really keen on trying to keep this in check in our lives, like something that will vie with Jesus for that most important place in our life, something that you know, may matter more to us. Like this young man went away sad because he couldn't reconcile. This stuff meant so much to him. It was the only thing he wasn't willing to give up for Jesus. And we probably all have something that could easily become the only thing that we're not willing to give up for Jesus. And that was the point that Jesus was driving home here. It's like, what's the thing? What's the one thing that you're not willing to give up? And, and here's, here's hope for all of us, okay, is that, that nobody misses the kingdom of heaven by accident. So there's like, the, you, you, can, you can just take it easy and chill on the west side. Like, nobody gets to be so rich that they're excluded from the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't happen by mistake. We all get to make a choice. It's a conscious choice on all of our parts, but it's our attitude and our heart posture to what God has set in front of us. At the end of the day, it's either thy will be done or my will be done. And the size of our bank accounts and our earthly possessions and our successes and all of that has no bearing on that. It's a, it's a posture of the heart. So the obvious question for us as followers of Jesus today is, you know, how do we interact with the things that we've got. Like we all experience varying levels of success, right? We all have levels of achievements. Hopefully, um, we all experience some blessing and favor in our lives, at least periodically. This conversation of being rich and not rich, uh, we're all rich, okay? I was saying that to Pastor Ron today before we started. Like, uh, yeah, sure, there's different, there's different degrees and economic status even within our church family, within Atlanta, Canada. But when you pull out to the macro of the global scale of things, we are all very rich and very blessed people. We all have so much in our lives to be grateful for. And I think we've all got things that we probably get a little more attached to that would be very difficult for us to part with. And the thing is, is that our level of success in this world holds zero correlation with our level of success in eternity. That's really important for us to understand. And in fact, Jesus seems to indicate here in verse 23 that they're actually inversely related. That oftentimes the more success we experience in this life, the more difficult it might be for us to experience real genuine success later on in eternity for whatever reason, because it just makes us take our eyes off the prize or lose sight of what's most important. Jim Carrey very famously said, we all know the actor Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura or The Mask or Sonic the Hedgehog for all of you, uh, all you kids out there. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. Jim Carrey is somebody who has experienced plenty of success in his life by anybody's standards. He's had the money, he's had the fame, he's had the notoriety, he's had all of it. But if you've followed his story at all, like you've seen him struggle, you've seen that play out, you've seen his battles with depression and mental illness even. And he had to come to a place where he realized, man, all these things that I thought would fix, excuse me, this, this void inside of me still haven't. 
And that's true with, pre, you name any celebrity that you want to. If you're following pop culture, like, they all have their struggles. They all have their battles, right? And oftentimes, those play out in the, in the public eye and in the media. Like, all of the, the markers of success that we would call as people aren't fulfilling that same need that they have in, all of the, in, in them that we all have for validation and for meaning in their lives. Here's, here's something that's really important for us to understand. Riches are not the problem. Stuff is not the problem. Money is not the problem. It never has been and it never will be, all right? But our attitude toward them is absolutely everything. And the way that we approach our possessions and our successes and our accolades and all that, that is what actually matters. They're not the problem, but they are a litmus test because they reveal things about us. They reveal things about our heart. They reveal things about our nature and what we value the most. Just like our appetites and our private habits and the things that we do when we're alone and no one else is around and no one else can see reveals a lot about our hearts and what really matters to us and what is really truly a priority and most important. Like our stuff and our possessions and our earthly successes do the exact same thing. That's why earlier in, in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, Jesus famously said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Because our heart follows the things that we value the most. And when you start to really pay attention to that and start to really do an honest inventory that really only you and Jesus can do. No one else really knows what's in your heart of hearts and what you really value the most. But your heart will follow it. If it's Jesus, your heart will follow it. If it's something else, your heart, your heart will follow it. And in heaven's economy... The thing is, uh, decimal points don't really matter at all. Decimal points matter a lot to us. Zeros matter a lot to us as people in this life, but they just don't move the needle the same way in heaven's economy. It's a different, it's a whole different way of measuring things. It's not about the volume. It's about purpose and understanding what we're supposed to do with it. Uh, we have a very real tendency to become too attached to our stuff, too attached to our success. And uh, we can even become a little bit prideful, right, about the things that we've done and the things that we've been able to accumulate. That's why Jesus once condemned the Pharisees when they were, they were in the temple and they were watching all the people come in and, and offer their offerings at the temple. And there was a little old lady that came and was dropping two pennies in the, in the bucket at church when she was coming. And all the Pharisees were standing back and, and judging her for giving such a small, paltry amount. And Jesus overheard them and he said, listen, I know this lady's heart. And that's really all that matters. She just gave everything she had because she believed that this was the best place that she could invest her money. He goes, I see what you guys do. You guys keep the best of what you have for yourself and you give the leftovers to the church. It's a big amount, but you're still keeping the best for yourself. I'll take her heart over your heart any day of the week. It's not about the amount. It's not about the zeros. It's not about the, the bank account balance. It's about our attitude and our approach with it. This needs to be said. Anybody can get it, all right? Anybody can get it. I know the whole camel through the eye of a needle thing is, is a tough pill to swallow, but anybody can get it regardless of how wealthy the world may say that we are. But Jesus understands our appetites and our desire and our drive for more. I know so many people who uh, I believe that God has given, genuinely given, the gift of being able to generate wealth. And I know people that have leveraged that and have used that for kingdom benefit and for the benefit of the people around them. And they've somehow, some way, been able to keep a heavenly perspective on it and not allow it to skew their human nature and who they are and not allowed it to, not allowed it to take a place and a seat in their life. 
life that it was never meant to take. And sometimes when we look to our money or our status or our accomplishments as, as solutions to our problems in this life, because we've all got problems, amen? You know how I know that? Because our CR ministry is full. We've all got hurts, habits, and hangups, amen? Thank God for our Celebrate Recovery ministry. We've all got issues. And the problem comes when we start to look at the things that we can accomplish or the stuff that we've got to be able to actually solve those problems. Anything we find in this life is a temporary solution. That's why addiction is such an issue, because we're trying to use something that was never meant to to fill a void that it can never, ever fill. It actually just cheapens and dulls our desire for true joy and true satisfaction in our lives. Here's, here's what it really comes down to, my friends, is that for us as followers of Jesus, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but you've just been trying to figure this, this whole thing out, and this is a question that we have to answer and a realization that we have to come to in our lives is every aspect of every single one of our lives is a matter of stewardship. Our entire life is a matter of stewardship. And I feel like we talk about stewardship a lot in church, but what, is, what does stewardship actually mean? It's taking care of something on behalf of, of somebody else. The stewards of Gondor. I don't know if you have any Lord of the Rings fans out there, right? But like they were in charge of keeping, keeping track of the city of Gondor until the true king came back. Like a steward is someone who is taking care of something on behalf of somebody else. And if we approach our lives that way, we're all stewards of something that was never ours in the first place. It changes the way that we approach things. Jesus wants, I believe, he wants every single one of us to be happy and to enjoy our lives and find meaning and fulfillment in it. He wants you to enjoy the blessings and the favor that he's poured out on you. Listen, you don't have to reject blessing and favor and provision in your life just because, just because you feel like it's, it's wrong, right? No, like who are we to say no to the blessing and favor of God in our life? But as long as we recognize that that's exactly what it is, it's blessing and favor from him in our life. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we deserve. It's a gift that he's freely given every single one of us. And when that little voice of self-importance maybe starts to rear its head a little bit and tell us that, that we're hot stuff or maybe we deserve something or we've earned something, um, we begin to feel entitled. That skews things in our minds and our hearts. And uh, Living a life of gratitude is a really simple way to fight entitlement, church. I don't know if anybody's got kids on the west side, online, in the room. Like, when my kids are grateful and express gratitude toward me, then I want to give them the world. Like, I just want to pour out more love and affection on them, provision for them. Like, when I know and understand that they realize there was a cost to what it is that's being provided them. If I feel like they start to get a little bit entitled and a little bit uppity, you know, and I can just sort of sense that they're not thankful and they're kind of becoming a little bit of a puke, you know, then what's my tendency? As I, I, want, I want to pull back a little bit. I want to remind them, listen, you're not entitled to anything. Everything you have is because I love you and because I think you're worth it. But you need to understand that it comes at a cost. And this isn't this isn't free. It came at a cost. Somebody had to pay the price. There's so much, there's so much research. We don't have time to get into it today because we're already landing the plane here. So much research about the actual scientific effects of gratitude on our, on our emotional health, on our, on our physical health, on our spiritual health. You're going to have to Google it because we don't have time to get into it today. But 
living a life of gratefulness and gratitude really sets the table for God to begin to deepen his work in every single one of our lives. And for all of us, it's really about our perspective. It's a matter of perspective. It's living our lives from a perspective of stewardship. That this isn't mine in the first place. This is God has given me to somehow leverage for the benefit of those around me. It's a, it's a perspective of gratitude. That every day, man, God, I'm so, I'm so grateful. We all have good days. We all have bad days. We all have days when it's really easy to be grateful. And we all have days when it's very, very difficult. And it's a discipline to be grateful. But it's a posture of the heart that I think Jesus is looking for in his followers. C.S. Lewis, in his, uh, his novel, The Great, the Great Divorce, if you've ever read it, I mean, it's great. Anything by C.S. Lewis, we're big fans of in this church, Pastor Brent's favorite author. Um, in the novel, The Great Divorce, it basically follows the story of a, of a narrator who's he's, he's essentially being, uh, being toured through heaven and hell. And he's walking around through heaven and hell and the different environments. And he's making different observations and observing different things while he's there. And then uh, there's, there's a piece of the book that uh, just really has stuck with me for a really long time. And when he's, when he's in heaven one day and he's, he's walking around, he's got an angelic host that's kind of his tour guide and walking around with them. And he sees this, the narrator of the story sees this woman, this beautiful majestic woman just emerge, emerge from the forest. And uh, she's beautiful and she's radiant and she's regal. And uh, she's just got this throng of people around her. There's, it's, a, it's a parade is what it is. And, you know, there's ticker tape and there's music. And there's, there's a, literally a thousand angels that are serving this lady. And she's surrounded by all these young men and women. And so the, the narrator in the story does what any of us would do is he stops and he looks. You ever been somewhere where there's a big crowd and everybody's gawking around? And then you start looking to try to see what you're missing, trying to figure out what's going on. And he looks and, and he turns to his host and he says, who is, who is this woman? Clearly, she's someone of great importance. And his host, probably an angel, like says, ah, yeah, she, she is. Like, she's, one of the, she's one of the great ones. She's one of the best. He goes, but when you were back on earth, she's nobody that you ever would have known. On earth, she was just Sarah Smith from Garden Street. But here, she's one of the great ones. And all those angels that serve her like that's that's a reward for the way she chose to live her life all those young men and women surround her those are people that she took under her wing and she served and she loved and she cared for as her own people that she sacrificed for that she bled for when necessary people that she would have been willing to give her 